Kisat Podcast Network. Lions and Tigers and Bears MI is brought to you through a collaboration between the Mountain Plains, ATTC, and NFARTEC. In episode 13, Paul and Amy discuss the difference between an MI consistent approach and MI practice. For episode resources, links to episodes, contact us, and other information, please visit the Lions and Tigers and Bears MI website at mtplainsattc.org forward slash podcast. and Tigers and Bears, MI, an interactive podcast focused on the evidence-based practice of motivational interviewing, a method of communication that guides toward behavior change while honoring autonomy. I'm Amy Shanahan. And I'm Paul Warren. And we've worked together over the past 10 years. We've been facilitating MI learning collaboratives and providing trainings and coaching sessions focused on the adoption and refinement of MI We're also members of the Motivational Interviewing Network of Trainers. Join us in this adventure into the forest where we explore and get curious about what lies behind the curtain of MI. Hey, Paul. Hello, Amy. How are you? Here we are again. Here we are again. Talking about our favorite, one of our favorite topics. We have a lot of topics we like to chat about. Very true. If we recorded them all, we'd never get anywhere because <laughs> we'd be all over the map. And we'd be recording all the time. So <laughs> that's true. So we're going to dive deeper into some concepts in these next episodes of our Lions, Tigers, and Bears podcast. Am I? About. Yes. Am I? Yeah. Yeah. And it's exciting to have this opportunity to dive deeper into these particular topics, because I would say with perhaps the first six episodes and those that followed, I think we laid a a pretty consistent foundation Mm -hmm. about some of the pieces of MI, some of the uh, mythology and misconceptions about it. And and I think we also started to get into some of the weeds of it as Mm -hmm. well. And I think, you know, in this episode and the ones that will follow, we have an opportunity to look at even more specific nuances around how this evidence-based practice and this particular approach can support people in their process of behavior change. And you know what I learned from other folks who listened into the foundational podcast episodes was they have a foundational aspect to them. At the same time, they're flexible and fluid. You don't have to start at the beginning. I heard from some instructors that will offer an episode based on a a specific piece or a topic that they might be teaching in in their university, or it might be useful for a particular student that's practicing. So they were foundational and also fluid at the same time. 
Mm. Uh, that you don't have to start from the first one and then flow in in necessary order. And mm. I think that the next several episodes that we're going to dive into in greater detail, or as you said, in a nuanced way, have a really specific focus, same thing. You can just pick pick it, pick it off the menu if it suits you. Mm. And the neat other thing that me, we might want folks to understand is that we're going to have some guests in mm-hmm. the in this series again. We had one Billy Joe Smith in our our 12th episode of Lions, Tigers and Bears and we're going to have mm-hmm. Billy Joe come back again and mm-hmm. we're going to have some other guests that are going to talk to us about other things. Right. And, and those other guests, we don't want to reveal their identities at this particular point, partly because perhaps the ink hasn't dried on their contracts, but <laughs> also because, you know, I think one of the things that is valuable about this particular podcast, at least for me as somebody who gets the opportunity to be part of it in this way, is that there is a certain amount of flexibility that we have as we explore these topics. And, you know, I can't imagine that anybody could ever get tired of listening to you, Amy, but perhaps if, <laughs> our, if, if our listeners have grown weary of hearing me talk, we will have these other guests who, of course, we're inviting very intentionally for their specific experience and expertise. And they certainly, as Billy Joe did, will add a certain zest to mm. our conversation and a rich uh, contribution to what we're talking about. Love it. And I think we all like a little bit of zest in our lives once in a while and don't want to have the same flavor every time. Perhaps. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and, you know, you offered that insight that you've gained uh, from folks sharing their feedback with you about how the podcast series really can be used in such a way that it could meet a specific need that you may have at a particular moment. I was struck by that because it reminds me of the parallel process in terms of, you know, with MI, there's not a script Mm. and we don't necessarily know what's going to come out of the moment of that conversation. We're prepared to guide when we're practicing motivational interviewing and we also have to have the flexibility to be able to respond in that particular moment. So hopefully the podcast, the episodes in some way can be used to respond to your specific needs and mm-hmm. that, you know, look at the topics, look at the work that you're currently doing. And by all means, don't restrict yourself to thinking, okay, episode one, dive in wherever you're drawn to dive in and see where it leads you. Yeah, you know, setting the foundation like we did in the first dozen episodes is part of the menu. Like when you talk about it's flexible, I was just thinking of a recipe and I just canned some salsa yesterday. So I'm going to try to make this relate. Mm. There are certain key ingredients in salsa And then you can adapt it to what your style is, right? So there's certain menu items or ingredients, if you will, for the recipe of MI to work is how you explore it, how you practice it, and which one you focus on um, is really a stylistic thing. Mm. Mm. You know, I 
I'm really glad that you added that because it it really reminded me of a conversation that I had just recently with a group of folks that I had the opportunity to be doing a group practice session with. So it's a learning community. It's a small group learning community where we actually focus on the practice of MI and refining their practice. And one of the participants said, you know, it would really be helpful for us to focus on specific skills. And when the person said that, a bell really went off in my head. And and in some ways, this could be kind of an entry point into our conversation today, which is going to focus more specifically on an MI consistent approach and the practice of motivational interviewing. And how I think this might relate is this person said, you know, it would be really helpful if we focused on the skills of motivational interviewing. And the bell that kind of went off in my head was that I bet everybody in this learning community has a very strong understanding and proficiency in terms of the actual skills, the ability to ask an open-ended question the ability to do an affirmation, a reflection, or a summary, because essentially those are the skills. And those skills, the use of those skills, does not necessarily mean you're practicing motivational interviewing. It means you're using those particular skills. Mm. So in, in the focus of our conversation today, we're really going to differentiate between employing and interacting using an MI consistent approach and the intentional practice of motivational interviewing. And it, it can be very helpful to understand the differentiation between those two. One that I don't think really gets focused on too often. I think you're right. Because when we first kind of titled our episodes, I wondered specifically what we meant by this. Was mm. it, am I practicing, am I consistently when you talk about an am I consistent approach? And when we talked about it, in a deeper way, the difference is, do I have an approach all the time based on the spirit of MI, that partnership, acceptance, collaboration, compassion, all those spirit words, am I doing that consistently and or versus the practice of MI where someone has a behavior change that they're ambivalent about and I have this intention to guide them and guide the conversation, if you will, around that ambivalence about that behavior change. At first, I thought it was, oh, am I being consistent in my practice of MI? And that's not what we meant. Correct. And, and I'm glad that we went through a process together of kind of talking through the distinction that we're really trying to make because, and I'm going to make a bold statement here, and, and Amy, you tell me if you think this is bold or not, but I would go so far as to say that adopting and 
executing or interacting in a way that intentionally uses an MI consistent approach is something that you can do in every conversation you have with somebody that you're in the role of a service provider or a clinician. And practicing motivational interviewing, the actual practice of MI is a very specific kind of conversation that you engage in when, as you just said, there is an identified behavioral change goal that the person feels ambivalent about. And you have the opportunity to guide that conversation, to explore that ambivalence, the both sides of it, and to help identify that person's motivation or motivations to make that change and to strengthen those motivations so that the person can then have enough motivation to begin to form a plan and then start taking steps to execute that plan that will lead them to change. And to me, those are two very different things. They have a relationship, but they're two very separate things. I think I have an example of an interaction that you and I recently had just moments ago before we started recording. Okay. You were listening to me with the intention to understand and provided some reflections that let me know that you were listening to understand. I even gave you feedback about the type of reflection you used. So I would think that that was the aspect of you being consistent in your approach, in your everyday communication when it's appropriate. Conversely, I started to talk about uh, my ambivalence about registering for a conference. Now, I didn't invite you know, that we weren't sitting down like in a cl clinic setting, if you will. Mm -hmm. But I had some ambivalence about whether or not I was going to register for this conference. And your conversation had a lot to do with more guiding about what my ambivalence was about and being evocative. And so to me, that would be a little bit more in depth if we were working together that you would continue to employ MI in the practice of helping me to be curious and res maybe resolve that ambivalence as an example. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. In regard is, to- Is that a quote, decent example? I, I think it is. I think it is. And, and I appreciate that you're acknowledging that an MI consistent approach is can simply be a part of a sort of normal, irregular uh, communication exchange mm -hmm. and that the practice of MI is related to a change that somebody is considering. Mm -hmm. So again, maybe it would be helpful if we stepped back for a minute from our like specific personal example, which I think is a really good one. Mm-hmm. But maybe if we framed this from the perspective of, so as a worker, what's in it for me yeah. <laughs> to be thinking about, okay, Amy and Paul are talking about the difference between an MI consistent approach and the practice of MI. What's in it for me to entertain that? 
And and I have some thoughts about that, but I'll throw it out to you first, Amy, to see if you have any any thought or reaction to that idea of just framing it from the perspective of like what's in it for somebody who may be listening to this podcast about why it might benefit them to be thinking about the distinction between an MI consistent approach and the practice of motivational interviewing. Yeah, that, that's a really good way to frame it. And I, I'm putting myself in the shoes of myself and maybe others, um, how I might find it. Why is it, why should I understand the difference? One for me that stood out throughout our conversation was something that's really important to me is being genuine, mm. right? So I, I was thinking of if I were per, being consistent in my approach and my intention to listen to people to understand. So it really does have the frame of the spirit. Um, it's not something that I'm just putting on that coat at the time that I need to, to um, practice MI because somebody's ambivalent about change. So it's not disingenuous. So to me, genuineness stood out. Mm -hmm. uh, and the other, to help understand the difference is to really know that MI is a tool that can be used to help guide people around their ambivalence about a behavior change. So I know that that's when I need to practice or or when I can choose mm -hmm. to practice MI. So I don't mm. have to use MI all the time. I could use other approaches to helping people depending on where they are in their change. They may not be ambivalent at all and they just need some help formulating a specific plan about how they might go about doing it or just need some support while they go through their change. It, so mm -hmm. it really depends on where they are. So MI is not always uh, a tool I'm going to use. Mm. And just to end the, I think how I think about why it's different, because now I'm exploring it as you're asking, I can still be consistent in my approach about how I talk to the person, even if they're not ambivalent about a behavior change. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I really like the word that you use genuineness, because another word that I thought of, and it, to me, it's akin to genuineness, uh, is authenticity. Mm -hmm. And again, by intentionally choosing to engage in an MI consistent way with somebody, you are really saying to yourself and to that other person, I am genuinely open. I want to authentically interact with you. And the, the benefit of that is you can build rapport. Mm. And you can also build trust with that particular person. And from that rapport and from that trust can come a collaborative partnership. I also think, you know, we engage and have the opportunity to engage with folks in all different moments of their life and all different points in their process of personal growth. And not everybody is considering a particular change at every moment of their life. So having an approach that we can consistently employ when we converse with folks that, again, is based on MI spirit, 
partnership, acceptance, compassion, and evocation, having that approach that we can apply across the board that builds rapport, helps foster trust, prepares us when and if that person then does identify a behavioral change goal that they feel ambivalent about. And again, I go back to the bold and maybe not so bold statement that I made earlier, which is that I would go so far as to say that if one can adopt and practice in an am I consistent way, one can be using, like you were saying, any other kind of therapeutic method or intervention and be ready to use motivational interviewing, the practice of, if it's relevant for what's going on in that moment, in that conversation. Hmm. You know, I, I love that you're setting this stage to distinguish the difference between having a consistent approach and why is it important and certainly important about genuineness and authenticity and building rapport and fostering trust because engagement is such a big part of what we do in any relationship, a very big, important part. Without that, we, we're we not going to help guide anyone towards anything, whether they're ambivalent or not. Right. And, and another thing that stands out to me when you were talking was just even thinking about a conversation that I was having with my sister and I'm having a consistent approach with, I'm listening to understand, I'm using reflections, affirmations, whatever I seemed fitting. Another discernment, I think, in MI practice is that the person whom I'm practicing with is agreeing to this conversation about their ambivalence, about a change goal. So I'm not necessarily going to dive in and try to um, use MI in practice with my sister, for example, about her behavior change that she's ambivalent about, unless we come to an agreement that she wants me to do that, right? And I'm just talking about my sister because I can have an MI consistent approach with family members. It doesn't necessarily mean I'm practicing MI with them mm-hmm. because it's really an agreement that you have with someone. They want to, they want to partner with you in this conversation. Yes. And you've invited them to exercise their autonomy. Mm-hmm. Amy, I want to partner with you. And they may not say that in in so many words, but they may convey that. They're saying, Amy, I want to partner with you and explore this change that I'm considering, that I feel ambivalent about. And and, and yes, that's that's critical. So I'm wondering. You know, I I come from um, prim- primarily the addiction treatment background, and I was just thinking of a summary example of being with someone mm-hmm. in a session where maybe it's assumed that because they said it, they want to stop using a substance, for example. Mm-hmm. All along, I'm I'm going to have an MI consistent approach with them, yep. not necessarily thinking there's any ambivalence about the goal. And as we go along and talk and listen and I reflect back and explore and engage in the conversation where we build rapport and trust, it starts to emerge that indeed there is ambivalence, that the person's not really sure they want to completely stop or how they want to stop. And 
as you said earlier, then the change goal starts to emerge in that conversation. Mm-hmm. Now I know, now to me, I don't want to call it a red flag as if the red flag is a war- bad warning, mm-hmm. yet a good warning that, hey, now is the time where I'd want to employ the practice of MI to engage in this conversation with this person about that ambivalence. So it's it, it can happen almost in the same relationship. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and, you know, the idea of uh, as the conversation proceeds, the ambivalence about the change becomes apparent and that flag and let's hold off on whatever color it may be, but <laughs> your favorite but I, color, whatever it is, your, whatever your favorite color is for me, <laughs> for me, it would be orange. I would say that orange opportunity flag would, <laughs> would pop out and I would know, Oh, and it's, and Amy, thank you so much for, for kind of walking us to this particular point because what you've really illustrated is how the consistent approach, again, if that ambivalence about the specific behavior change becomes apparent, can transition into the practice of motivational interviewing. It doesn't mean that you're going to stop your consistent approach. That continues. And because the ambivalence about the specific behavioral change, that orange opportunity flag comes up, (laughs) you then know now is an opportunity to actually engage in the practice of motivational interviewing. So I'm imagining that like to use the example that you gave, Amy, the, the client says something to the effect of, yeah, you know, smoking marijuana as often as I do, you know, as much as I like it, it's really actually starting to kind of get in the way of things. And yeah, it's, I know it's what brought me to this, you know, this organization and, and I'm torn. So that's kind of what the client has said to you. And when I heard, when I hear that in my head, that orange orange flag, (laughs) the orange flag pops out, you know, and if, if I could, it comes down to maybe half mast. (laughs) Uh If, um, if the person starts to move towards change or come back and says, Hey, I already did these things and tried these things and maybe completely comes down and says, the flag completely comes down because they say, Hey, you know, I thought about all the things that we talked about and I decided this is how I'm going to go about it. And this is what I'm doing. And, um, I'm, I'm on my way to doing it and, and really start not only starts, but moves into change where perhaps, yeah, you don't want to back off and, uh, not strengthen it and support and continue to, you know, guide them in their plan you then move back to your MI consistent approach because they decided to make a change. 
Yeah, and I would also go so far as to say, and tell me if I'm if I'm not understanding you correctly, I would go so far as to say you never moved out of your MI consistent approach. You just realized that this person, because of where they are in their change process, they have enough motivation. They've identified the steps they want to take. They're ready to take those steps. So you don't need to practice motivational interviewing. And it's it's great because where we are in this conversation right now is it's it's begging the larger question of then what is the practice of motivational interviewing? Mm. And I think it would be a good question to just let people decide how they would define it, how they would describe it as they think about the difference between having a consistent approach and the MI practice. And I got a sense that you might have an answer about how you would describe that question or answer that question. I do. I do. And I would imagine that that you would, as well as somebody who practices MI and simultaneously and also not cons- consistent consecutively, also uh, engages using an MI consistent approach because the way this is my understanding. And again, I I like that you're posing Amy for our listeners to be thinking for themselves then, okay, well then what does this really come down to? What is the practice of motivational interviewing? And it's a really important question because it shapes how you go forward in the conversation. And I don't know if it might be too soon for me to share my perspective on this, if there's something else we should entertain before I do that. But I ask for your guidance in regard to that, Amy, because I I think we are at the point of getting at, like, what's the real utility or purpose of the practice of motivational interviewing? Because we may have established the benefits of engaging in MI-consistent approach across the board. Hmm. I don't know. It's, It's one of the things that I do in practice, as I'm doing right now, wondering... Do I answer this person's question or do I get curious about what they think about it? And in this case, it's you and also the audience, Mm. right? Mm. So because how I define it or how I clarify it for myself could be very different than, well, not very different, but different than how other people make, you know, help, help make it true for them or understanding for them. Mm. So how about this? How about if the way we proceed with this is that you and I are curious about each other? Because unfortunately, at this particular juncture, we don't have have the feedback loop from the other listeners. <laughs> right. And 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 we want that and we would love that. Yeah. And and yeah, by yeah. all means, please write in if if you have thoughts or reactions. But I'm curious about your take on that. So if we've established, and if you don't think we've established it, please say so. 
But if we've established that an MI consistent approach applied across the board has merit and benefit, what is the utility of making the transition when we know it's the appropriate thing to do based on the presence of ambivalence about a particular behavioral change goal? What is the utility of engaging in the practice of MI? Hmm. Yeah, that's a different, because in my head, the change and the ambivalence is the flag. Yours is orange. I don't know. Mine might be eggplant purple. Mm. <laughs> that goes up. I can see so, it. And the utility, hmm, to me, is a lot of different things. So it's about guiding. It's It certainly goes back to the spirit of things, guiding the person to explore that ambivalence, to be curious about it in order to increase or illuminate, I want to say, change talk around that goal or wish. Mm -hmm. That's at least the first things that come to my mind. And I'm curious about what you're thinking. You might have a more distinct way to, to answer that utility question. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I'll tell you, though, hearing what you said and thinking about utility is that the intentional practice of motivational interviewing, again, given the conditions, there is an identified behavioral change goal that the person feels ambivalent about. Mm -hmm. The utility of practicing motivational interviewing to me is the ability to provide a guided context or a guided framework for the person to explore their unique and individual ambivalence about this behavioral change goal, why they're considering it, why they're not considering it, and why they want to stay the same, and to guide that person to become aware of and verbalize the specific and unique things that may motivate them to want to move toward this particular change. And to me, that's the utility of the practice of motivational interviewing. And it, it hinges on the person's ability to verbalize, to put those things out. Hmm. And then one of the unique features, and I think one of the, the powerful engines of motivational interviewing is how we employ what it is the person has put out in terms of, and you use the phrase change talk. Again, anything that the person says moving toward that particular change. We employ that change talk very intentionally, very specifically when practicing motivational interviewing as a way for that person to 
hear themselves. Mm-hmm. We, ref- we reflect back to them sometimes what they've said and sometimes what they've communicated, but they may not have said in words. That also is motivating them to consider this particular change. Really important points, which I love having these conversations with you because of the words that you use to describe things really highlight things in a different way for me. We may have said some similar things around drawing out change, illuminating, guiding, um, but really the thing that stood out to me in addition is not just what they're saying, also what they're not saying. Yes. And how they're saying what it is they are saying. Yeah. And you know, what one of uh, our practitioners in one of our workshops that we were in together was curious about this notion of MI as an art form based in research and was really curious about that. And to me, this kind of nuance about it, how we describe it and the whole artwork about listening in for what they're saying, watching for what they're not saying and how they're responding to the conversation is a, is a piece of the art form. Agreed. And you said this earlier, and I I think here's a a perfect point to reiterate what you said, because I think it was also another element of the art form, which is, and you you actually said this a couple of times, which is the, the essence of the practice of MI, as well as an MI consistent approach, is the authentic desire to understand the other person Mm. and to try and understand their perspective, their feelings, not what we think they should be feeling or thinking, not what we think they should do, but really trying in an authentic, honest way to understand it from their perspective. And that to me is an art as well. Well, and it certainly begs the whole being versus not being, being and doing that we're being this MI consistent approach. We are doing the MI practice with the consistent approach that it's this, this really this marriage between the two, the spirit and the skills and the strategies and, and the art form of the individual being in the space. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm so glad that we have been offered this opportunity to have further conversations about this, about MI, because I personally find it infinitely uh, exciting from the perspective of, MI really provides the provider with a unique opportunity to truly support somebody's autonomy as well as from an informed understanding of that person's unique experience. And a lot of social service provision and other perhaps methods of providing services really don't emphasize that. They emphasize the expertise of the provider 
And MI is really emphasizing the necessity to understand the expertise and the experience of the client and the participant. Mm -hmm. And yes, client-centered counseling is devoted, the work of Carl Rogers is devoted to that unconditional positive regard of the person. And MI has created a practice opportunity to really put that perspective into action. Lovely. I love the way you put that. And it really gets to the, really the being, the partnership piece. Yeah. 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 And I, and I really like the distinction that you made, Amy, about your conversation with your sister, because that distinction is when we authentically communicate to the person, shall we collaborate? Shall we be on, shall Mm -hmm. I be part of your change team? Yeah. And letting that person actually make that decision. And you know, when I'm not on the change team or invited to be on the change team, like in the example of my sister, I still can be, am I consistent in my approach with her and things that stand out to me is it, my writing reflex kicks in all the time. I laughed when I was talking with someone recently that, of course, I dive in. I'm like giving her advice, telling her how she should go about doing things. And if I'm more consistent, I can rewind my tape, slow it down and practice managing my reflex to want to fix it, help her, make it better for her. Um, so I find it helpful to have an MI consistent approach because it gives me an opportunity to practice those things at, at times when I'm more apt to do what's what we'd consider less consistent in a, in motivational interviewing practice. Mm-hmm. And, and and let's keep this real because it's normal and it's human to want to jump in there and give suggestions and fix it and try and help the person and solve it. And we all come to this work for a lot of very deep personal important reasons. And we can still choose how we're going to interact with that person. And, you know, I was thinking when you were describing like, yeah, I jumped in there and I gave her advice and I made suggestions and whatever. And and the thought that went through my head was like, wow, talk about the quickest way to be kicked off somebody's change team. <laughs> I wasn't even invited. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I'm, I'm here to fix this for you, but uh-huh. I never even invited you to come into hell. <laughs> so, so the am I consistent approach Again, across the board. And, and, you know, I wanted to go back to something else you said too, Amy, because like, let's say the person doesn't invite you to be on their change team. Mm. That doesn't mean you fail. It means in that moment in the conversation, that's not where things are right then and there. Yeah. And you know, I, I might've said this in previous episodes, but mm. the the nuance of language has become such a big thing in my consistent approach and my MI practice. And one of the things that one of my colleagues would say a lot in his practice was at this time, you know, this person may not want you on their change team at this time. This person may not want to consider 
their ambivalence or their change goal at this time. Mm -hmm. They may not want to stop smoking at this time. Because to me, it has an ellipsis after that. At this time might mean and be open to the fact that people's motivation to change changes in a day, over days, or over years. So being open to anyone's motivation or desire to have you on their change team can be Mm -hmm. different from time, moment to moment. You know, and before we summarize a a little bit, what you just said is so critical because at this time does not mean that the door is still not open. Right. And an am I consistent approach keeps the door open for when that time, if that time, to focus on a particular behavioral change goal arrives. Mm. So we can invite folks to summarize how they would have defined the difference between am I consistent approach and am I practice, if they choose, how they would define it at this time for themselves. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I know (laughs) I have defined things one way today and then you teach me or help me understand intentionality. I'm like, my whole definition changed. (laughs) The feeling is mutual. (laughs) You know, I have to say just as a way of, of concluding that, uh, one of the things that stands out to me about our conversation today and one of the benefits, and I really, um, I don't think I can say this more strongly, is what great benefit there is in having a trusted colleague like yourself, Amy, to be able to really talk through and think through the practice of motivational interviewing, an MI consistent approach, all of these elements. Because for me, I feel like the more I discuss this, and maybe it's a parallel with motivational interviewing and how motivational interviewing works uh, to help people change, but the more I have the opportunity to discuss this and understand my own thinking and hear a trusted colleague's thinking and feeling about it, the better my practice gets. Mm. So uh, I really appreciate the depth at which we've kind of looked at this. And I love the fact that you've invited our listeners to kind of summarize for themselves or give us feedback about what their take is on the distinction between these two and their thoughts and reactions to this conversation. Um, Because I want them to be as much a part of our conversation as the conversation that you and I get to have. Mm. It is a parallel process, right? It, it's, um, you know, how do you, how do you invite yourself to have autonomy, to be curious about MI and uh, explore these topics that we're talking about and make sense of them for yourself or, or not maybe shoot a hole in something and say, Oh, this doesn't fit right for me. I mean, I recall there was many things that I was practicing, but it didn't yet gel or it was in my head intellectually, but not yet in my heart. So the doing versus being and, you know, it 
we inviting people to be curious about change, inviting people to be curious about a topic we're talking about is having an MI consistent approach. Truly. So at least one th- <laughs> at least one thing we can say about ourselves is we are consistent. <laughs> <laughs> In our inconsistencies. No. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps. <laughs> I love it too. Great talking with you again, Paul. Absolutely. And as Amy said, and I and I'll just reiterate it. I really invite everybody to who, you know, those of you who may be listening, um, I'd like to think it's a lot of people, but anybody who's listening who'd like to uh, comment on this or share your summary, your distinctions, uh, we would welcome that. And of course, we always welcome and encourage any feedback or thoughts that you have about our conversations. Indeed. Take care, Amy. Bye. Bye. listening to episode 13 of Lions and Tigers and Bears MI. In episode 14, Paul and Amy welcome guest Billy Joe Smith to discuss using MI with those who are mandated to service. Cassette Podcast Network. This podcast has been brought to you by the Cassatt Podcast Network, located within the Center for the Application of Substance Abuse Technologies at the University of Nevada, Reno. For more podcasts, information, and resources, visit cassatt.org.